Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. And I'm Dion. We are a historian and a special guest delivering you the weird and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Fairy Tales Part 2. Yay. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. You can't see us because this is a podcast, but we're both wearing crowns and it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I went with the fairy tale crown today. I went with the queen crown today. (laughs) So you have best of both worlds. Yeah, I think I have that on my Amazon wish list. <laughs> Pretty sure I have that one on there. Yeah. No, I put it on my Elfster wish list, which is how it got Ooh. here. So, Yeah, speaking of Elfster, if you're a Patreon, shameless plug, we do, I think we're doing like two a year now at this point. We do like yeah. a mid, like July, and then we do Christmas, holidays, and we just draw random names and send each other gifts and it does all the work for you on Elfster. It's really fun. I sent my person theirs and then I was like, I don't remember if I'm supposed to keep the secret or not. So I blew it. He knows that I sent it. I think I have no idea who sent it, but I said thank you because I love it. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I have so much fun with these. My mom is so cute. So my mom is like an obsessive gift giver. And everything has to be so thoughtful. And there's like so much that she puts into it. She has been working on this gift for two weeks. And then speaking of crowns, we had our first tea party. And that went really well, too. It's so fun to see all your faces and drink tea and just laugh and relax. <laughs> it was amazing. And we had people from all over the world. It was so much fun. <sighs> so we'll definitely do it again. It'll be the last Saturday of every month. Morning, about 11, and then about 7 o'clock at night, central time, my time. That way we can hit every time zone equally. Patreon, it's a good time. Join it. Patreon.com slash historical pod. And you can watch these live and comment along and all that good stuff. Anywho, how have you been since the last time we talked? The last time you were on, was it the Harry Potter Quidditch? Yes. Yes, it was. It was. (laughs) I saw a string quartet play Harry Potter live by candlelight this week, and it was the coolest experience. I went to John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. That'd be incredible. (laughs) Yeah, Zeke, when we walked in, he's like, are you going to sing? Because they were doing Game of Thrones and Westworld and Harry Potter. And that's all I listen to oh. when I'm working. And mm-hmm. I sing on top of my lungs. And he's like, please embarrass me. <laughs> I was like, I make no promises. <laughs> oh. But the people behind me were laughing because I was like dancing to tune. And I'm like, yes. Oh, it was the greatest yeah. experience ever. And it's in Austin. So if you're in Texas and you want to do that, highly recommend. I think it's called Fever something. Fever Up. But they said the next ones are going to have ballet dancers, <gasps> too. So oh, that'd be really cool. that, I love that, like, oh, so much. No. It's not the cheapest thing in the world. That would be no. the reason I don't go every week, but it was incredible. I love Raman Jawadi so much. So just to hear people play his stuff live. He does the themes for a lot of HBO, so, like, Westworld, Game of Thrones. He's incredible. I'm really excited about this episode. Fairy tales are so cool and i know that they've been part of your life since you basically began to read Uh, i found my first fairy tale book (gasps) did you because i still have it i was about to say tell everybody about your love of fairy tales because i know that you yes so here it is oh i love that and you can tell i was very little because the pages are completely yellow (laughs) and i colored them oh that's adorable one of the fairy tales is actually from this book 
So I learned to read by the time I was four. By the time I was five, you had to leave me alone when I was reading. <laughs> and that hasn't stopped. That seems fair to me, honestly. Yeah. So Ooh. my love of fairy tales started and then I moved on to mythology. And now when I go on vacation, I collect mythology and folktale books mm-hmm. from wherever I go. That's incredible. <laughs> That's the best that's that's what everyone should do (laughs) well that's amazing and i also love that folk tales fairy tales mythology is something that people have been reading or telling for like millennia it's exciting to me like nerds like us that are just obsessed with them like thousands of years ago there was little nerds freaking out about them too and it just i i don't know as far as history goes it's one of those things that i feel really connected with other yes. people in history and it just excites me my little nerd brain so two of my top favorite disney movies are beauty and the beast and hercules oh okay hercules of course mythology and then i watched the movie and i went out and got greek mythology books and that's not what happened <laughs> so i decided to go out and get the rest of the fairy tale books and that is not what happened <laughs> Yeah, it's that realization we all have when we're like, oh, Disney lied. (laughs) I was six. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it was a problem for my mother. (laughs) The Disney illusion was Oh, the Disney was shattered early. And at this point, my mom worked at Disney until I was about five. So the the illusion was shattered (laughs) really early. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast is also a fun one. This is every culture has a different version in it. Yeah, and that was another thing because I had the Greek mythology books. I read Eros and Psyche. Okay, yeah. And I was like, why is there a Beauty and the Beast story in Greek mythology? And that sort of compounded the problem. (laughs) Yeah, like the episode one where you talk about the the Russian version, but I'm like, why is it a snake? (laughs) Yeah. I've read a Persian version where... (laughs) Wow, that was... (laughs) I'm surprised I could say that after how much of my wine I've drank, <laughs> where it was a tiger. Oh, okay. I've Yeah, I've read a lot of versions. There was one where it was a wolf. There's one where it's been a bear. I saw a TikTok earlier where it was talking about when the live action movie came out and people were Whoa. upset about the implication that LeFou was gay. And people were like, "That that's your problem? Not the problem that your daughter was kidnapped and seduced slowly by a giant hooven beast <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah i i have two french fairy tales that i'm going to tell you they both just get weird <laughs> which was the point of my segment but oh i love how weird fairy tales are too and i love how I... some of them just end so abruptly oh, and yeah. so not happy it's not a happy ending for the most part it's just weird gets weirder and then it's over <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked four fairy tales to tell you guys, and I'm recapping them in my own words. So this is basically drunk history with fairy tales. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I read this out loud to my brother a couple hours ago, and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know you've done your segment right when somebody asks what is wrong with you. <laughs> you check that off, you've yep. won. <laughs> He was very entertained because he was cackling, but he was like, why? (laughs) 
It, but why though? Yeah, but, but why though? Well, I'm excited. Let's just get this bad boy going. All right, my friends, let's travel to Ireland, aka okay. the Emerald Isle, for a morbid tale that inspired one of the greatest literary monsters of all time. And here's my brief list as to why I love Ireland. It's old, and I love old things. <laughs> yes. People have been living there since like 7,000 BCE. I love old places. Basically, everywhere you go is old. It's one of the coolest places I've ever had the opportunity to go in my life. And I didn't want to leave. I was hoping they would just forget me and I would just be able to live out my life. Oh, yeah. I'm (laughs) sorry that I send you homes for sale in Ireland every morning. (laughs) She does. And I want to move there all the time. It's also home of one of the oldest pubs in the world. It's called Sean's Bar and it opened in 900. Just 900 CE. And then Brazen Head also claims to be the oldest, but they opened in 1198. So they're slightly... I ate there. At Sean's Bar? No, at Brazen Head. Oh my god, it looks so cool. It was very good. We were trying to soak up our excursion to the Guinness factory because it's only a few blocks from the Guinness factory and it was 11 (laughs) a.m. Sounds about right. (laughs) I went to the Guinness factory, but I was 15, so I didn't didn't drink. Uh, But I don't remember seeing that. But again, I was 15. It is not. It was, it's not close. We actually, I had uh, marked it down as a place I wanted to go and everyone followed me. Oh, I want to go back so bad. So my name is Irish Gaelic and it means intelligence. And it's also the feminine version of Conan or Conan, depending on how you pronounce it. Like the barbarian, which is why I named this. And I still find that is the funniest thing about me. honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I also have an Irish tattoo. I have a cloud off and I love it. I'm not so proud of the placement. Oh, you're wearing your cloud ring. I wear it all the time. I actually bought it while we were touring the Ring of Kerry. <gasps> oh, so, that's uh, so cool. But yeah, it's fun. I love my tattoo, but it's also a tramp stamp. So not great because <laughs> a cloud all has hands on it. So I don't oh. know why 17 year old me thought that was a good idea, but here we are. So. That's something I have to live with. But, you know, young mm. Kina made made choices. <laughs> Halloween has oh, yeah. origins in the Festival of Samhain. I mean, we owe everything to the Irish, the most glorious time of year. And Ireland is snake-free, and I don't like snakes. Don't, <laughs> nope, nope, do not. And, of course, St. Patrick did not cast out the snakes. It was a metaphor for wiping out the pagans, which, you know what? Not great, my dude. Not no. great. Pagans were way more inclusive and cool about shit. Absolutely. I would have totally want to hang with a pagan rather oh, yeah. than those saints. <laughs> uh, also, speaking of St. Patrick, he was not Irish. And I did a whole TikTok thing about him. And shameless plug, go check that out. Because as I was, I always learned that he was British. But there's new research that shows he was Scottish. So I ooh. did a whole thing on that. So if you wanted to go listen to that. Anyway, so Ireland also has New Grange, which I just talked about in the space episode. It has the Hills of Terra, the Caja Fields, which is the most extensive Stone Age site in the entire world. Super cool. They have the best beer, the best scenery. Mm. They have a lot of rain. I love rain. They have druids, which coolest things ever. And Dion has mentioned before that if she could meet anybody in history, it would probably be a druid. And finally, the stories and legends. 
which brings us back to the theme, are some of the coolest. The Irish got some cool tales. Ireland has one of the richest folklore traditions in the world, and this is mostly because Celtic culture has been maintained for more than 2,000 years through a strong tradition of oral composition and performance throughout Irish history. So it's called the Shen Aki, and these were traditional Irish storytellers and the custodians of the history of Ireland for centuries. And they could recite ancient lore and tales of wisdom whenever it was needed. They're essentially Google. You could be like, tell me that story about what's call it. And they would just tell you. And they would travel from village to village. And then at night they would gather and tell these tales and perform them. It was a whole thing. And fun fact, if any person varied on this story, they would have a council that came together to determine if that was the correct version. And because of this, the stories were recited and transmitted for hundreds of years, word for word, which is really different from other cultures because there's always variations. But in Irish lore, these were identical, which is so cool. This is an incredible accomplishment and a real testament to how important these tales were to their culture and their beliefs. Could you even imagine a world where fairies and changelings and leprechauns didn't exist because they were lost to history? I can't even fathom what that would be like. I would be so sad. My library would be significantly smaller. Yeah. And And I mean the one in my apartment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's so many things that come from Ireland that we probably don't even think about. But if that was lost, that'd be just so sad. And they carried more than just tales, of course. They knew the history, they knew genealogy, myths, and legends. And the fact that these stories even survived and that Shaunakis actually exist today is also crazy. Just think about history for a second and the links people went, and by people, Christians, when they would just wipe out these cultures and replace them with Christianity. So the fact that these still exist is huge because we all know just from basic history, they tried to wipe out the pagans completely off the map forever. And these stories oh, yeah. survived. So that's just, to me, incredible. Incredible. Like one of the main reasons I really want to go to Iceland is because the Catholic Church forgot about them because it was too fucking far. So they retained a lot of their culture. Yeah. And again, I'm not shitting on Christianity. This is just history. I am. Yeah. So my family are Native American. I get to shit on Christianity. Yes, you get to all you want. (laughs) That is your right. (laughs) We're all dead, so. Yeah, exactly. So there's four main types of storytelling traditions. You have myths. And those are usually concerned with the activities of gods and goddesses. Then there are legends. And these are stories that are going to regale the deeds of quasi-historical heroes. So a lot of times these stories of people, it's above what really happened in history, but they're probably loosely based on somebody or something that actually happened. There's there's like a little tiny smidge of reality in there. And then we have folk tales that are stories passed through generations by word of mouth and are generally a form of entertainment. And then finally, we have our fairy tales where traditional folk tales are spoken, but they have some sort of fantastical element. So magical creatures, supernatural, you know, demons, lots of magic, all that good stuff. And this is a quote from irishmyths.com. When the gods are heroes and the heroes are gods and these god heroes are 
reflections of everyday people, the myths, legends, folktales, and fairy tales are rendered indistinguishable from one another. So a lot of times these are multiple things all at once. So it can be very confusing. And of course, I chose a morbid tale that is three out of the four of these. So it's very, very intermingly. So it is a legend, a folktale, and a fairy tale, what I chose. And this tale may have also inspired a Dublin author to create one of the greatest literary monsters of all time. Do you have a guess of who the monster is? I'm going to wait. Dublin author created a monster might have been inspired by a fairy tale. I want to say Dracula, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like Bram Stoker. Didn't I visit where he hung out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is my hot take. I know a lot of people say that it's like cut and dry Vlad, but I have another. I'm not alone. This isn't. This isn't a breaking news moment here. There's other people that think this. But I think there's a large connection to Ireland. So we're going to start out with a little historical detour about Bram Stoker. So Bram Stoker was born Abraham Stoker on November 8th, 1847 in Dublin, Ireland. His father was Abraham Stoker as well. And his mother was Charlotte Matilda Blake Thornley Stoker. So big old mouthful. That's one hell of a name. I know, right? I just have three. I need I need more middle names. <laughs> so he was third of seven children and suffered from a mystery illness when he was a child, and it left him bedridden until he was about age seven. And then he made a full recovery. So this illness is still really unexplained, and nobody has a guess what it is. But the interesting part of this is that while he was bedridden, his mother entertained him with stories. And some sources describe them as ghastly. <laughs> These weren't your everyday, you know, fun fairy tales with happy endings. She told him the dark shit, and it's incredible. So <laughs> I have just a little example of the stuff she was telling him. So she was from Northwest Ireland, and they had had this terrible cholera epidemic. And a lot of the stuff she was telling him is stuff that she actually experienced in that. So she told him about how mass graves would throw people in them and they would accidentally still be alive and like wake up surrounded by dead people. Not great. In one tale, a man was awakened from an opium stupor with a blow to the legs because they were trying to break them to fit them in a coffin. And he was like, oh, I'm not dead. So no, that's, <laughs> that's no. not great. Don't do opium, kids. <laughs> I mean, I've heard actual stories of that, but... Yeah, yeah. And another story she told him was of a neighbor whose wife took ill. And one day they checked on her and they were like, oh, she's dead. So they put her in the morgue. And so the husband went to pay his respects one last time. And then he found her in a mass communal grave, still alive, trying to dig her way out. So it happened a lot because like with cholera, it like slowed their heart rate down. They looked dead because they were all pale and like it changed your color. And then also during this time, he was subjected to bloodletting. So if some vampire light bulbs are going off by this illness that are making people rise from the dead, him getting his blood sucked out, you're not alone. There's a lot of things that probably went into the creation of Dracula. 
His mother also regaled him and his siblings with the history of Ireland and a lot of the popular legends and folktales at night. So we're going to get into the big one here in a little bit. But he grew out of his mystery illness and he bounced back. He was tall and strong and athletic and sociable. In 1864, he enrolled at Trinity College, which is probably the most beautiful place I've ever been with the most incredible library I've ever seen in my life. It's beautiful. Oh, could have just left me there. I know. Never right? would have come back. I wanted to go to college there so bad. It's like, just leave me here. <laughs> you know what? I am like six months from finishing my AA and we'll see <laughs> once I get to the master's. They have a oh. much better master's program over there. Yeah, they do. I even and then you can it. come visit me. I could. Oh, I love it. So there he played soccer. And he excelled at debate and was in the history club. So, my man. Woo. Surprisingly, he studied mathematics, which I wouldn't have expected for a writer. And he dabbled in journalism a little bit. And he won honors in science, math, debate, history, and composition. So, he was very well-rounded. Another one of those annoying... Yeah. Another one of those annoying people that uses both sides of your brain. I don't understand people that are smart in math and liberal arts. I think it's unfair. <laughs> like you and my husband. I like statistics. Me. I hate statistics so much. Oh, my nemesis. So after graduating, Stoker then began working as a civil servant at Dublin Castle. His dad had actually worked there and got him the job. And that was the home to the British royals in Ireland from early 1800s to about 1920. And he also worked as an unpaid drama critic for the Dublin Evening Mail that later became just the Evening Mail. And he reviewed various theatrical productions and then began writing short stories. So we're going to fast forward about 10 years and he's leaving the castle to manage a production company venue in England. The famous, is it Lyceum? I think it's Lyceum, right? I think you're, yeah. Yeah, Lyceum. Lyceum. Uh, theater in London's West End. So his duties as manager included writing letters, sometimes up to 50 a day, as well as traveling worldwide on Irving's tours. And then during this time, Stoker married an aspiring actress named Floris Belcombe, I think. And Scandalous. It's true. She had dated Oscar Wilde. It was a whole thing. Who hadn't? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and then they gave back to their son, Irving Noel Thornley, in the late 1879. And he also met actor Henry Irving that introduced him to Oscar Wilde, Charles Dickens, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So, a lot of big names. He's he's hanging out with the big leagues in the writing arena. And then in 1890, Stoker began writing what would become his masterpiece, Dracula. And it was published seven years later. And the book did garner some critical success. It had some good reviews. It had a lot of mixed reviews. And it only had three negative reviews. So that's pretty good for a book. Yeah. Not everybody's going to like your shit. That's just. And it didn't really peak popularity until well after he died. Then after Dracula, he continued to churn out a bunch of fiction and nonfiction works. He wrote about 12 novels in his lifetime and a bunch of short stories. And he worked at the Lyceum Theater for 30 years. He later, though, suffered a stroke and spent most of his final years battling poor health and shaky financial footing. He eventually died in London on April 20th, 1912, which was not great because that was right when the Titanic happened. So his death completely got overshadowed by the sinking. So there's not even a lot on his death, even though he was a huge 
character in the literary movement at the time. So that kind of sucks. But it's kind of like speculated that he might have died from complications of syphilis. So that's not very. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> Yeah, taking out all these historical figures left because they got around. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. Oh God! So back to Dracula. It's been widely accepted that Bram Stoker based his evil Count Dracula on the real-life 15th century Prince of Wallachia in Romania, not my cat. Shameless. Plug. I was about to say your cat <laughs> would choose now to show up. It's true. He would choose violence and just. Turn my computer off or something. <laughs> Don't say that. So I did do a segment on the principal here during the secrets episode. I talked about the castle and the torture and there's like secret passages and stuff. So Vlad Tempes is known for being pretty ruthless. You know, putting people on spikes didn't help his image any. But there are a lot of accounts from people in Romania that were like, he was a good leader and he really wasn't that bad. And it's just whatever perspective of what side you're on here in history, I think he got a bad edit from some people. Of course, if you're the people putting on spikes, you're probably not going to like him. But if he's protecting you, you're probably like, eh, it's cool. So anyway, his daddy was Vlad Dracul. And so, oh, I forgot to say that. It was Sigismund, Sigismund, Hungarian's hard. He's the king of Hungary (laughs) and the future Holy Roman Emperor who initiated Vlad II into the Society of Knights. And the name of the society was the Order of the Dragon. And their purpose was to fight the Ottoman Empire during the Crusades. So Vlad II took the name Dracul, which means the dragon or dragoness. So all that is just a lot of words to say that Dracula means son of the dragon or son of the devil. Connecting the dots there. Brahm had heard about this dude from a co-worker at the theater he worked at. So Arminius Vemberry, which is like the greatest British name ever. Vemberry. <laughs> That is up there. It is, right? He was a traveler, and he just so happened to go to Hungary and was like, I heard about this dude. Check this shit out. And some historians point to this being the moment where Brom heard about Vlad Dracula in his torture castle, and he found out where to get more information. So in the summer of 1890, the 45-year-old at the time, Bram Stoker, entered the subscription library in Whitby, England, and requested a specific title, The Accounts of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia. Moldavia? Moldavia? Didn't look that word up. It's fine. I think it's... Oh, well, I can't say because I'm not... I don't know. Moldavia? Apologies. By William Wilkinson. So this title wasn't readily available on the shelves, and it wasn't available to the general public. And the library didn't even make it known that they had this book. I love the top secretness of this. So you only got access if you asked for it by name. So I just find that really cool. Like a secret society, but for books. Yay. Did he belong to the secret society? No, but he knew some. He knew a guy that knew a guy. Well... I mean, he knew Oscar Wilde, and Oscar Wilde was, I think, yeah. So he got the book, and you could only handle it if the librarian was over your shoulder watching, so that's what happened. So he opened it to exactly where he needed. He wrote some notes, gave it back. So 
Again, he knew exactly what he was looking for. Next, he went to the Whitby Museum, where he reviewed a series of maps and pieced together a route beginning at the heart of London and ending at the mountaintop deep in the wilds of Romania. And he wrote, like, a latitude and longitude in his journal. And then next... He found a picture of the famed castle, Bran Castle, and was like, yep, that's it. That's my inspiration. One singular photo that I'm going to look at once, and that is Dracula's castle. So if you remember from the other episode, Dracula didn't actually live there. It's like a whole thing. (laughs) It's known as Dracula's castle, but it really wasn't Dracula's castle. But whatever. I just think it's fun that he saw one picture. It was probably blurry because it was the 1800s, and he was just like, that's it. That one. Well, it's probably hand-drawn. Probably. It was an actual photo. I have seen a very blurry internet version of it, but it's a very, it's not very clear, but you can still see how beautiful it is. It is very, like, magical, you know? It's it's so beautiful and so big, and it's in the mountains. It's very gothic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand why that would be what he wanted. So next from the museum, he made his way to Whitby Harbor, where he spoke to several members of the Royal Coast Guard. They provided details of a sailing vessel, the Dimitri, that ran aground a few years earlier on a beach. And it was weird. The ship was originated in Varna, an Eastern European port, and it was carrying a really weird cargo, crates of dirt. So... Of course, people are like, why are you carrying dirt from freaking Eastern Europe? So, while investigating the damaged ship, rescue workers reported seeing a large black dog, which is consistent with the English myths of the, you know, the beast, the... The Grim. Yeah, the Grim, the uh, the Bargast. I think there's another one. But yeah, the big black hellhounds. The- and so the escape from the hull of the ship... And the run up the 199 steps from the Tate Sands Beach to the graveyard of St. Mary's Church was all noted in his journal. And so Stoker looked up to the church at Whitby Abbey looming on a cliff, very mysterious. And that's where he kind of pictured the dark chamber at the top of the central tower. So if you're fans of the novel Dracula, you've seen the movies, all the information I just listed sounds really familiar. He used all of it. He just minor changed the name. I don't think it's the Dimitri in the book. I think it's the Demeter. But yeah, he just barely changed it. But these are all things that really happened. So that's pretty fun. Hmm. And he found this really cool blurry area between fact and fiction, which I just, I think it makes it even cooler that he's put so much truth into it. And I think it probably makes it scarier. Yeah, a little bit. And I guess this does also mean that he created this whole thing about Romania with ever stepping foot there too. So... You're probably thinking, Kena, where do fairy tales come in? Fuck. Okay, we're getting there. <laughs> so I Almost said, there. Yes, yeah, so close. So like I said, this has been widely accepted as his inspiration. But it's not really the current theory. Very recently, some scholars were like, hey, wouldn't it make a lot more sense if all his inspiration came from his home of Ireland and the folktales he grew up with and the fairy tales his mother read him and then all the accounts of the epidemic she told him about as a child? And everybody's like, huh, that makes sense. So, again, when you think of vampires, I think most people immediately go to like Assyria or Babylonia, China, South America, Eastern Europe, of course. But Ireland has had vampire tales for like a millennia. 
They're not usually what we think of when we think of vampires, but they sure as hell do. And they got some cool ones. For starters, they got the she, which are fairy people that drink your blood and that you're shape-shifting. And they're kind of like sirens that lure you with their beauty. And then they're just like, bam, I'm going to eat you. It's great stuff. But it makes perfect sense that if Bram Stoker was surrounded by vampire lore in his home country of Ireland, that he would probably draw a lot of his inspiration from what he knew instead of things he didn't know. But that's not to say that he didn't study everybody else. It's been noted that he studied vampire lore in 13 different countries. I'm just saying that this is like possibly the starting off point. I also find it freaking amazing that he studied 13 different countries and how similar vampire lore is across the world. That's just bonkers. So another bit of evidence here is that Dracula in Irish, means bad blood or tainted blood. Oh. Right? Who knew? I mean, it's typically, it means, like, bad blood between families, but I still think it's a real fun play of words. And there's even a Dun Dracula or Castle of Tainted Blood in Southern Ireland, and it was reportedly the home of the she, the blood-drinking, shape-shifting fairies. So, I think that's pretty cool. And then, and then, and then, we have the Avertalk. Dun, dun, dun. I love this dude. So great. All right. So in the early 17th century, Dr. Jeffrey Keating published the first written record of the Avertalk in his work, A General History of Ireland. And although today it's viewed as like a fairy tale folk legend, Keating actually wrote the Avertalk as a real life historical figure, which is really interesting. That's what makes him a legend is that he supposedly truly existed. So the story of Avertalk has been retold for centuries. And then later, Patrick Weston Joyce wrote in The Origin of History of Irish Names of Places. That is a mouthful for a title. And this was 12 years. Yeah, this is 12 years before Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. He wrote the story as well. And fun fact, two of Keating's manuscripts were on loan from Trinity College, where Stoker went to school. And it was at the National Museum in Dublin where it was displayed on Chapter 10, The Undead, during a time that Stoker was there. And it's it's two places he likely saw this book. And it's very likely that he read the second one that came out right before he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunities for him to read this story if this is something that he perchance didn't hear as a kid. So, like most fairy tales, there are different versions. I'm going to read the version that's from (laughs) emeraldisle.ie. And for context, this fairy tale takes place in the 5th century. So, here we go. (laughs) They do say that good things come in small parcels, but often forget to add that not all small parcels are filled with good things. (laughs) And so it was in the little village of Slot Oh, ah, damn it. Slot Verdi. There we go. I looked that up. Slot Verdi. In the distant past, ruled as it was by a fearsome dwarf tyrant known as Avertok. Stature and size were much prized in ancient Ireland, as well as they might be for a tall warrior or strong farmer, will have an easier time of it than a short one, and more likely to win glory for his people, so a dwarf was straight away at a disadvantage. So there's a little bit of ableism here. Not a good start. (laughs) Making fun of the dwarfs. Growing up, Avertok was often slighted for his size and given the short end of the stick whenever it came (laughs) to do the work that was deemed unfit for others. (laughs) 
Really? They used the word short end of the stick? They did. <laughs> wow. Side note, the name Avertog actually means dwarf. And in a lot of accounts, our dude is described as being a big old dick. He's probably just mad at the world for being treated like shit for being a dwarf, but everybody kind of hated him. So just keep that in mind. All right. But he managed to put himself at the service of a druid who knew much of ancient lore, twisting and strange incantations, sorcery old when the hills were mountains and the purple dragons ruled from their cities of bronze high above. Scuttle work and pot cleaning he did with great vigor, cooking and washing and integrating himself with the druid who indulged his interest as one might teach a pet a few tricks. <laughs> oh, it's fun. But Avertok had a trick up his sleeve that the druid did not see coming. And so one rain-swept day, the druid went missing and the dwarf along with him, as well as his scrolls and texts. After some time, a new terror began to walk the earth. The dwarf had returned and was strangely changed in appearance, with eyes of green that could be seen from afar, and a stench that could be smelled from even even further. <laughs> ah. I love this. Okay. On that year, Avertok began his revenge of those he felt had given him the short shrift. <laughs> Again, a short Lord. <laughs> whether justly or otherwise, and he demanded and took whatever he wanted from the people of the area. Those who defied him were struck with blight and illness, crushed by great stones, and found in the morning with ghastly looks upon their faces, stone-cold dead. So, well, at least you got a stone-cold joke. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, great fairy tale. A lot of people died. That's why it's more morbid. So well, the people cried out under the lash of his diminutive demons, whose power had made him safe in his stack from where smokes and broils often emanated, until a chieftain by the name of Cajon heard their pleas and rode out to his host to tackle the tyrant. There's also a lot of alliteration, which I appreciate. And some versions call the chieftain by other names. I think the other one is like Fionn MacComhale. Irish is really hard. <laughs> I could not find a pronunciation for that part. The the cajon, it's spelt like Caitlin. I don't even know how you get that. I, d I am questioning if my name is even pronounced the way I pronounce it. After probably not. I'm, I'm, well, no. You probably have the English like yeah. written version, phonetic. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when you see it in like Gaelic, the way it's supposed to be spelled, probably got like 20 letters in it. I know, I think so. When I went to Ireland, ever I had a name tag because I went for a charity. They all said my name right, so I think I'm good. I don't know. I need to find somebody. If there's a listener from Ireland, can you tell me if you speak Gaelic? Am I am I wrong? I will change my name. That'd be fun. Okay. Anyway, focus, Kina. ADHD. <laughs> I don't help so. After a quick battle, the dwarf was slain, and the local folk held a party to celebrate their new liberation, pouring out mead upon the mound where Avertok was buried in a standing position, as was their custom. Because he was a chieftain, they oh, buried yeah. them standing up. So, sated, they slept, little knowing the wrath they had unwittingly unleashed upon themselves. So, story's not over. Spoiler alert. All right. <laughs> It was for, too happy for it to be a, a fairy it's tale. It's true. It's true. For Avertok's masters and the other world were not content to let him lie, nor was he done with his vengeance. As the very next night, the tribes heard a fearsome battering at their doors, which they opened to reveal none other than the dwarf himself, made more horrible yet by his sojourn through the veil. 
So a new terror began, the Red Knights, when the dwarf would rend his way back from where he lay with iron claws and take not cattle or young women, but instead demand blood, and blood he got. Again, the people called out again, and Cajon returned and slew him, burying him in the same spot to no avail. Frustrated at his failures, the chieftain paid a visit to a druid whom he was acquainted with and asked how he might dispose of the troublesome a revenant. God, why can't I read? The druid shook his head slowly and said that the creature Avatok was one of the... Oh, shit, I didn't look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> shit! <laughs> I looked up all of these except this one, the, the Nemar? Or Walking Dead. There we go. There you go. Making his abode between the worlds and could not be slain, only that he could be subdued. He told Cajon the means by which this could be achieved. So Cajon returned, taking a sword made of yew wood. He pierced the dwarf through. So that's interesting to me, too, because, like, vampires and the wooden stakes. Mm -hmm. So, burying him again in the same place, but this time upside down, he covered the tomb with a large stone and surrounded it then with thorns. And so was Avertok caught beneath the earth where he lies to this day. And like many other Celtic myths that were later incorporated into Christian mythology, this tale was also changed. So the changes are pretty minor. However, eh, it's a weird change, and I don't know why. So the biggest change is that Avertok's death was an accident. He wasn't murdered in the first one, so the Christians kind of like, I don't know, made this nicer. But So in the first... the That doesn't sound like the Christians. I know. So the Christianized version is that he ruled the land and he was a dick and he was really suspicious that his wife was cheating on him and he was a jealous man. So he decided one night that he was going to spy on her through her window. So he climbed out his window and was like creeping around the edge of the castle to like look through her window and be like, Aha, I got you. And he fell and died. <laughs> That's that version. And he was buried the next morning. And from there, it goes the same direction as the one I just read. Except instead of consulting with a druid, of course, they swapped it out with a saint. Of course they did. And I just love the story. It's quite a weird ride. It's like a magical vampire, sorcerer, wizard, warlord, dwarf. Dwarf. Demanding blood. It's just fun. (laughs) It's fun. So... The coolest part about this is that there are remnants of real history in this. So the grave is known as Slaverti's Dolmen or the Giant's Grave. And it is a giant ass rock, two smaller rocks, and a hawthorn tree that, according to this lore, the tree grew out of the thorns that he sprinkled on the ground because the druid told him to put thorns on it. So here's a picture. Pretty. We're going to get a little eerie here. In 1997, they were trying to clear this whole field to, like, turn it into something. So they were going to cut down the tree and then move the stones. But the chainsaw broke three times trying to cut the tree. And they finally were like, fuck it, we're going to move on to the stone. So then every time they tried to lift the stone, the chain snapped. And the last time it snapped and hit one of the laborer's hands. Oh, yeah, not great. And so he was just bleeding all over this ground. And people have heard this vampire lore. And they were like, fuck it, we're out. And nobody's ever tried to move it again. Good job. Yeah. So I today, agree with that. It's still there. You can go. It's private property. So I wouldn't sneak on it. But, well, you know, I mean, someday. they do have the 
right to wander in uh, Ireland and the UK, so you can walk through people's property. Oh, okay. Well, that's different from the US. But yeah, you can definitely... It's still there. Well, they actually protect their wild mm-hmm. open spaces. It's true. It's true. So there is maps. Like if you Google, I'll put a picture. But yeah, there's a map to where this is at. But yeah, supposedly he's still alive upside down underneath that big ass rock, you know. And if anybody were to ever move it, the lore says that he would arise and demand more blood. Well, then it's a good thing they didn't get to. Yeah. So I think it's fun. It's mostly a folk tale. But has the magical vampire elements, and then also it's a legend, because he supposedly was a real king. So I just think this is super cool, and I also think that this probably was a huge inspiration for Dracula. I'm sure that Vlad, you know, our Prince of Wallachia, was also a big figurehead. And, you know, there are some people that say Elizabeth Bathory was also an inspiration, but... I think that it makes a lot of sense that if you spent your childhood hearing these stories, that that would plant the first seed of your oh yeah horror. So, there's my hot take. This is the inspiration for Dracula. Mic drop. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm ready to get weird. (laughs) All right. So I had weird fairy tales. So and I chose choose from. (laughs) I chose to do one from each of the four primary western european authors oh cool so we have jacob and uh wilhelm grimm late 1700s to mid 1800s mm-hmm. hans christian anderson 1805 to 1875 charles perrault 1628 to 1703 didn't realize his was earlier i didn't either i, I thought he was later for some reason and I am not going to try and pronounce this woman's entire name because it is French and it is aristocracy. Ooh. So Marie Countess de Alunoy. Sounds great. <laughs> French is so beautiful, but it's so hard. So many letters. So and many letters. they're all like blurry. You only pronounce like two consonants. Yeah. It's Okay, so hers was 1650 to 1705. Oh, okay. So, around the time of Perot. They have very similar stories, but Perot kind of left out the politics of it and just went with the fairy tale. And she kind of put a lot of the court intrigue into her. So, hers are weirder. Because yes. there's like eight plot lines. You only get half of any of them. And then it ends. I guess I didn't realize there was a woman that was collecting these either. Yeah, she's featured in the Red and the Green Fairy Tale books, which is how they're listed. They're literally called the Red Fairy Tale Book, the Green Fairy Tale Book. And you don't really hear about her much. But we're going to start with her because I found her fairy tale book in my first fairy tale book. Oh, cool. Now we're just going to go with the little my version of the retelling. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> I was going to try and put the uh, R.N.A. Thompson categorization, but several of the ones that I picked were so weird, they span large categories in that mm-hmm. index, and yeah. it just, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of Princess Mayblossom. Should I put up the, should I hold the book as I do this? Because If you want to. <laughs> 
All the king and queen's children had slowly died one by one until all they were left with was a newborn daughter. Starting off on a high note, aren't we? Right? Just right off the bat. Make you sad. (laughs) The queen was interviewing for nurses for the baby. Mm -hmm. And she immediately dismissed this hideous, rude woman. Oh, that's your problem. That never goes well in fairy tales if you're rude to somebody ugly. After this happens, each nurse that she chooses dies. Oh, no! Immediately. Oh, that sucks. You didn't even do anything except for want a job, and then you're dead. So, here we go. Got a little queen choosing. <laughs> and then angry woman hiding in a tree. Who let me read these books at the age of five? I do not know. Hideous. Uh, Well, (laughs) we'll get there. The king realized what happened. It was the evil fairy who was very cranky with him because he played a prank on her when he was a child. (laughs) (laughs) And my book specific. My book is very specific about this. It says. Alas, we are now ruined indeed, for that was no under- other than the fairy Carabas, who has had a grudge against me ever since I was a boy and put sulfur in her porridge. What? One day for fun. Yeah. Wait, that's like poison, right? What What does sulfur do to you if you... I don't know. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah. I'm the- like very confident that's poison. <laughs> Probably is. But he thought it was a funny prank, and now she's holding a grudge. What kind of person is like, I'm going to poison you. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> well, he was a child, so, as it says in the book. But Sociopath. What does he mean? <laughs> Sulfur, dude. <laughs> FBI is going to be like, what are you doing? What the fuck, Kina? What's going on? <laughs> is eating... I'm going to continue while you Google. Oh, it causes a burning sensation and diarrhea. Oh, yeah. I'd be pissed at him, too. Yeah. It's not that bad for you. You can you need sulfur, apparently. Why you need sulfur? There's a whole thing. But low amounts. High toxicity. Well, apparently, he burning. sprinkled it on her porridge oh, and gave her the shits, according rude. to you. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the quote I want. Quote of Bikina. <laughs> According to Kina, the king gave her the shits. Yes. <laughs> My legacy, folks. <laughs> Dick jokes and diarrhea. There's your quote. <laughs> you got me. Damn. Oh. All right. So they try to christen the baby in secret to prevent any more problems. Doesn't work out. Never does. <laughs> Shocking. She shows up, she curses the baby to be miserable for her first 20 years of life. So every decision she makes is going to go wrong. Oh no, is that what happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> Not all the fairy godmothers had given their gift. There's one left, of course, as always. So she promised the parents that her life would be long and happy after the first 20 years. <laughs> I'm like, well, shit, that's just rude. So naturally, they decide to lock her in a tower for 20 years. All right. I see where we're going with this. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a Sleeping Beauty, a little bit of Rapunzel. Yeah. 
May Blossom, now almost 20, the king and queen decide we should jump on this whole marrying her off thing because she's going to be allowed to leave the house now. She's never seen outside. Can you imagine the social awkwardness of never being socialized and being like, boom, you're married. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) You're allowed to leave the house now. Here's your husband. He'll take care of you. Bye. Yeah. Don't want to deal with that anymore. No. So they send her portrait out to all the available princes in the land. Offers start to come in. One king decides to up the ante and send an ambassador to win over the king and queen. The princess decides that she has an overwhelming need to see this ambassador, even though she's not allowed to look outside. Like, there are no windows. She's in an enclosed space. Mm -hmm. And her nurses and maids, they feel sorry for her. So they drill a tiny little hole with their sewing needles in the wall. Oh, no. So she can see out. But she got the bad luck. Yeah, she does. She falls instantly in love with this dude. Okay, I thought she was going to lose an eyeball. I went really dark really fast. (laughs) I was thinking she was going to poke out the hole. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. We're not there yet. That's my last story. Save that for the last story. Okay. Love at first sight with this ambassador. She meets him at dinner that night because they're like, you know what? We're like four days from her birthday. We'll be fine. She's made it this far. (laughs) Any guesses where this is going to go? Not great. (laughs) Yep. So she convinces the ambassador to run away with her at dinner. They drug everybody at the table, knock them all out, and then they steal the king's dagger and the queen's headdress with a magic stone in it. Where did they, they steal go these like drugs though? Who just Apparently she was planning this while she was trapped in her tower. But she's trapped in a tower. Where does she know where the poison's at? Or drugs? I don't know. Where did her father get the bright idea to pour sulfur in someone's porridge? That's true. These are not these are not the most intelligent royal family. <laughs> anyway, next morning, everybody wakes up from their drug-induced stupor and they discover, you know, princess, ambassador, and the, you know, magic items are missing. They get the nurses to confess about the hole and that they send the admiral out in chase because they realize that they took off on a boat. Meanwhile, on the island, the ambassador is complaining that he's hungry and thirsty. And when the princess searches the island that they're on and comes up empty, he berates her and decides that she wasn't worth all of this effort. Oh. Telling her to her face. So she runs away crying and sits down by a rose bush. The rose bush starts talking to her oh, and tells her, cool. Yeah, look under my leaves and you'll find a honeycomb. Do not share it. Oh. Yeah, don't get... share with people that are mean to you. Thank you. He can get his own shit. Yes, he can. But she's not that bright. Oh, damn it. Damn she it. shares May it with him. What's her she name? shows him what <laughs> May Blossom. May Blossom. My bad. <laughs> it's a flower. And just call her Flower. <laughs> I changed the ambassador's name and all of this to that asshole. So. Yes. Uh. So she shows it to him, and he snatches it out of her hand, eats the whole thing in one bite, and says, Oh, it's much too sweet to you. It would have rotted all your teeth out. Oh, now he's gaslighting her. Yes, he is. So she's, and then he starts complaining about being thirsty. So she goes out and looks for something. And when she doesn't find anything, she sits down and cries. (laughs) 
Because she doesn't want to get yelled at again. Well, she's also been in a tower her whole life. She doesn't she's know never how... seen any of this. Yeah, she doesn't know what she's doing. Oh, what a Sits jerk. down under this oak tree. The oak tree starts talking to her and says, look at my roots. There's a pitcher of milk there. Don't share it. She's so stupid. She's like, all right, so she shares share it with this. him. <laughs> and he snatches it out of her hand once again, drinks the whole thing in one gulp and says, well, you didn't eat anything, so you can't be that thirsty. Oh and at this God. point, she's like, well, you know what? Fuck this. She walks away. Does she murder him? Because that'd be cool. Almost that. <laughs> okay. Then a nightingale sees her, you know, stomping through the, for- the forest on this deserted island. And, it's a- and it offers her sugar plums and tarts. Ooh. And this time, she doesn't share shit. She eats it all. And when this asshole finds her and realizes she ate without him, he threatens to kill her. So she takes the headdress, puts it on, and turns invisible and runs away. This is not the end of the story. Okay. The admiral finds where they landed on the island, sends his men, and the princess, still helping this asshole, turns him invisible now, and then he starts stabbing all the (gasps) admiral's men until they retreat. But this this guy, just a dick. So he tries to kill her now that he can see her, and she takes her father's dagger and kills him instead. Oh, good for her. Good for you, right? honey. <laughs> Meanwhile, the good fairy and the evil fairy carrot have been battling in the skies over the kingdom. The good fairy wins, because of course. And then everyone tells Mayblossom the story of her horrible first 20 years. But good news. Fairy's dead. You're good to come home. She comes home. She's given in marriage to the prince that the ambassador had arrived for. <laughs> and they live happily ever after. That's the end. Okay, and it's good. Just... So it's not like a fake out. <laughs> Listen, I would be very upset and be like, if you would have killed her this whole time, this would be over. Nobody thought of that for 20 nobody, years. <laughs> yeah, nobody thought to kill this bitch so I can leave the house. Oh. It just, it makes me think of the Into the Woods Rapunzel where she's like, of course I went insane. You left me alone for years in the swamp with twins. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That was one of my first fairy tales, by the way. That's incredible. <laughs> if anybody wonders why I'm weird as an adult. <laughs> I think I mentioned this last episode, but I wonder if there's a correlation by how weird we are and what we read as children. Oh, I, feel I know like there, there is. probably has to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Like, the rest of the stories in here are majorly fucked up. (laughs) And I had, by the way, I had two editions of this. So I had two different versions. Amazing. Like, this starts, there's Pinkle the Thief, the Enchanted Wreath, which is a very fucked up Cinderella story, which involves jewels falling from somebody's lips every time they talk. And then the evil stepsister has... Frogs and and uh, snakes fall out of her mouth every time she speaks. Oh no! As punishment. <laughs> oh, I do not like that. And then there's the dragon and his grandmother. And I still, I I'm still waiting for somebody to explain that one to me. <laughs> At least genetically. <laughs> All right. A woodcutter, Blaze, is complaining out loud about his miserable life and how none of his wishes ever come true. Jupiter appears to him. And grants him the next three wishes that he makes. Warning him that his happiness depends on the wishes he made. 
the woodcutter heads home, tells his wife, and I'm only going to call her Fran because I'm not trying to pronounce her French name. Because I will butcher it. That's just rude. So, she is immediately thrilled with this news. Oh my god, all the ways our life could get better. This is so cool. Three wishes. Okay. Don't you dare make a fucking wish until tomorrow. We're gonna think this over before you make wishes. And he goes, yes, yes, dear. Whatever you say. And he sits down in front of the fireplace. And then all, all I can think about now is he's really hungry and he would really like some sausages. Oh no. <laughs> Ginormous fucking sausage appears in front of the fireplace. And she realizes what has just happened. And she turns and starts yelling at him. Oh no. <laughs> and he's so annoyed with how much she's yelling at him. Oh no. That he wishes the sausages on her nose. And those are the exact words used in the story. Oh god. <laughs> in like three versions as I read. Oh god. So now they're just hanging from her nose. That is a no dumb real wish. Yes it is. <laughs> so eventually she's still screaming at him cuz now not only is she mad he wasted one wish, he wasted two. So he wishes the sausage is on her nose away, and now they're left no better off, except now they have sausage for dinner. <laughs> By the, that's it. Oh my god, she's gonna leave him. <laughs> she's gonna kill him. Oh my leave god. him's not an, op- an option. He is fertilizer. Can you for imagine? Her, her garden at this point, because like, I would. You could have all the money to never work again, to have everything you ever wanted, and oh, all yeah. you get is sausage. <laughs> Not even an endless supply. It's just a giant fucking thing of sausage in front of your fireplace. The lesson here is some people just can't be trusted. <laughs> no, that's precisely. Just... His wishes were never meant to come true, which is why they never came true before. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> what a dumbass. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that after last week. It reminds me of Ghostbusters, where they're like, don't think oh, yeah, of anything, don't, don't think, think of anything, and then you get Stay Puff puffed. Marshmallow Man. <laughs> Nothing, Stay oh. Puff Marshmallow Man could never hurt us. <laughs> okay, so next one is Hans Christian Andersen, which is a long and winding tale of the traveling companion. It sounds so, familiar, but I do not remember it. John is at his father's deathbed, and he nods off. He has a dream with, that he's with his father and this beautiful young woman who is wearing a crown. John's father in the dream congratulates him on finding such a beautiful bride. He wakes up the next morning. His father has passed. They have the funeral. After the funeral, John decides, there's nothing for me here. I'm just going to go. Seek my fortune. See what else is out there. So he takes all the money he has with him. Few days, he gives all of his silver coins to a beggar on the road. Oh, well, that's nice. Keeps not going. Very... Not very smart, but you know, yeah. very kind. Yeah. So, starts this storm on his journey, and he takes shelter in a church. While he's, you know, sleeping in the pews, he awake. He awakens in the middle of the night. Notices that there's a coffin in this church. Oh. And two men are trying to steal the body or from the body, depending on which story. And all I could think was broken hair. <laughs> Body snatchers. Yay. The thing back then. Oh, so yeah, John yeah. stops them and he's like, guys, what are you doing? You're in a church. 
They're like, this guy owed us money. He died before he paid us back. We're going to get our money one way or another. He goes, you know what? Here is all the money I have. Let this poor guy have a proper burial. Just stop fucking with the body. They're like, yeah, that's less work. So they take his money. <laughs> take off. <laughs> yeah, so he leaves the church the next day. Storm's over. He heads to the forest where he meets a man. This man asks John, can I join you? Yeah, sure. Nice to have a buddy on the road. They keep going. Come across an old woman who's gathering firewood who immediately falls and breaks her leg. Oh, no. The traveling companion has a magic ointment with him. He rubs it on her leg. Her leg is instantly healed. What can I give you to repay you? He goes, I will take three sticks. That's it. Cool. Here you go. John and his companion continue on. They come to an inn where a puppet show is being performed. Towards the end of the puppet show, a dog runs up on stage and bites the queen puppet in two. Oh, no. Puppeteer is devastated. This is his livelihood. Companion runs up on stage, rubs the magic ointment on this puppet. The puppet pops up and now no longer needs strings to be. Oh no! To move to no. move and dance around. I don't like. That. I don't like this either. But we're gonna keep going. Very short part of the story, but it will give me nightmares later. Very Chucky vibes. Yes. Mm-hmm. No thanks. So puppet is fixed, and the puppeteer is like. Can you do that to the rest of my puppets? <laughs> Companion's like, yeah, hell yeah. Now they all are Chucky dolls. Mm. And pu- Puppeteer's like, what can I give you? Companion says, I want your sword. Cool. Take my sword. I now have magic puppets. <laughs> cool. Trade. Yeah. Cool, dude. So they tr- leave the inn the following day. They travel on and get to the top of a mountain where a swan falls dead at their feet. Traveling companion goes, you know what? Those swan's wings might come in real handy later. So he cuts them off with the sword, puts them in his bag, and they continue on. They eventually arrive in a new land. The king here is a kind ruler, but his daughter, the princess, is extremely cruel and rumored to be a witch. Oh, But in spite of this cruelty, many have come to try and ask for her hand in marriage. Of course, because she's pretty, right? Yeah. Well, and she's the princess, and... This is his heir. He's going to want a chance at the throne eventually. But the princess has declared that she will only marry someone who can thrice correctly uh, guess what what she is thinking about. Yeah. That's random. Yeah, this. Told you I chose the weirdest stories I could find from each. That that's a cop out because then you could just wait for like the hot guy and be like, "Yep, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking." <laughs> Anyway, you'll you'll see why that's not what she's doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyone who fails, very similar to the story of Shahrazad, they get their head cut off <gasps> when <laughs> they are killed when they cannot guess correctly. Shit. <laughs> that's like really high risk. Yeah. Really low reward. That's- Pretty much. Like, do you- I know you're pretty and I might get the crown at the end of this, but do I really want to put up with you? You're evil, but you want me dead. Anyway, so John sees the princess passing through the town. Hey, this is the woman I dreamed about on my father's (gasps) deathbed. Oh, I'm going to try and marry her. So he goes to the palace, 
the king is delighted to meet with such a kind and handsome man. And then he's very saddened to hear that this man is here to try and marry his daughter (laughs) (laughs) and try to talk him out of it. See? Good king. Nice guy. He's like, sure. She's kind of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, you're too nice for her. Yeah. Yeah. So the king actually shows John the garden decorated with all the bones of the men who have come to try and marry (laughs) The princess's garden, by the way. Oh. All right. You really want to go through with this? Come back tomorrow. You will get a shot. I will be sorry to see you go. (laughs) Anyway, that evening, John sits down with his companion. I really think I'm going to do this. This is really important to me. I dreamed of this woman. Companion gives him some punch to drink. John knocks the fuck out. He got drugged. Companion puts on the swan wings, flies to the palace. (laughs) Sees the princess who is wearing some black wings and flies out the window. Yeah. This is weird. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I, I chose weird. Everybody's got wings all of a sudden. It's just such yeah. a weird. He put on the swan wings that he shoved in his bag. <laughs> That's how he's flying. And the princess apparently has her own black set of wings. Of course, naturally. So, traveling companion sees her fly out the window. He makes himself invisible, follows the princess. Don't know where he learned this, but continuing on with the story. Yeah, they haven't explained invisibility. Nope, they have not. <laughs> So they're flying, and the invisible companion whacks her with one stick. Remember the three sticks he got from the old lady? Princess is like, what the fuck? Is it hailing? (laughs) So she quickly flies to this cave where there lives a troll. The troll has apparently cast a spell on the princess, making her evil. (gasps) Oh, okay, good. Because he's too good for her if she's evil. Okay. I feel better about where this is going now. (laughs) So, Francis is like, what do I think of tomorrow? Troll tells her, think about your shoe. All right. Uh, And then tomorrow, when he guesses incorrectly, bring me John's eyes. Because I want to eat those. No. So, in the morning, traveling companion tells John, you know what? I had a dream about your princess. When she asks you what she's thinking of, tell her her shoe. She's thinking of her shoe. All right. Palette. He goes to the palace. They have a test. He's correct. She's confused. <laughs> he leaves. They're like, all right, come back tomorrow. We'll do this again. Hope what? you live tomorrow. Same thing happens again. His companion drugs him, follows the princess to the troll's cave, invisible. And then as she's flying home, he whacks her with two sticks. <laughs> whack, whack. No, no. I, well, I don't know. I'm picturing him like having two sticks in his hand and just... <laughs> Anyway, Uh. Troll told her to think of her glove. John guesses correctly. We have the third night. Third night, the princess is very unhappy. When she goes to the troll, she's like, this guy is still alive. The fuck? (laughs) So, cheer up. The troll apparently organizes a party for her. After, the troll flies back to the palace with the princess. Traveling companion follows them, whacks them both with three sticks. (laughs) I don't understand why I, they're whacking people. But I, I don't know, it. but it's very funny. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I don't know why it's a thing, but it's part of the story, and it is partially why I chose the story. 
So before the troll leaves her at the palace, he tells the princess, think about his head the next day. Guy's never going to think of that. He doesn't know I'm here. So the invisible traveling companion waits for the princess to go inside, cuts off the troll's head with the sword, wraps it in a handkerchief, and goes back to the inn with John. So in the morning, traveling companion hands John the handkerchief with the troll's head in it and says, all right, don't open this until she asks you what she's thinking of. Oh. And John's like, well, this dude's been really good to me. He's gotten me through the other two. Cool. Goes to the princess. The princess, you know, what am I thinking of? He opens it. There's a troll in, in this handkerchief. What the fuck? And she's <laughs> so shocked. She admits he's correct. Okay, so they get married. But this is not the end of the curse on the princess. She's still evil. Oh, no. So they're married. The traveling companion gives John three feathers from the swan's wing. And some of the ointment. When the princess is dipped into a bath which contains the feathers and the ointment, the spell is lifted and she instantly falls in love with John for saving her. Oh, that's some luck. I mean, that he knew that that specific combination would do it. Hold on. John is like talking to his companion. Hey, stay with us. I'm I'm the prince now. I'm going to be king. You know, I could set you up real nice. And the traveling companion says, he could only stay with John until he had paid off his debt to he owed him. He was the body in the church. <gasps> he's the dead guy. So he's been dead this whole time. You just six sensed me. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Freaking. Yeah. You got me. I didn't see that coming. Neither did I when I read it, which is why I was like, what the fuck just happened? First of all, the sticks. Second of all, the flying and invisibility, like, what? And then magic puppets and old ladies with broken legs. I was like, what happened here? Also, that troll had to have been, like, tiny to fit in a handkerchief, too. I don't know. I mean, if you think of, uh, what was the old, like, stick in the handkerchief where carry their stuff? That oh, wasn't yeah. too small. So if you think of it like that. So. Troll, troll. <laughs> Anyways, so that is Hans Christian Andersen's weird fairy tale. All and now right. we get to Grimm. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 my people. I'm going to end on Grimm. By the way, there are so many versions of the story. Perot did one also. And at oh, the end, I have some of the little variation discussions on it. The Germans, I'm telling you, they... <laughs> they I don't know it. why I, know, I knew the story for so long, but I remember reading it. And going, what the ever-loving fuck? So this is what started my descent into our current topic. Yes! Of weird fairy tales. Oh, I'm so excited. This one, it, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm trying. I'm going to try and say the French name. Alulira, or a thousand furs, or all kinds of furs. Oh, okay. And in the French, it's donkey skin. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> So, I have okay. to mention that I have to mention that this one is under the Arne Thompson index as unnatural love, dress of gold and dress of silver stars. Okay. Apparently, these things come up enough that they have their own categories, and it made me laugh so hard. Unnatural. It's a little Cinderella, a little very fucked up Sleeping Beauty, but you know. Okay. 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 
So a king promises his dying wife that he would not remarry unless it was to a woman who was as beautiful as she was. He searches for, yeah, he searches for years and years. She makes him promise this, by the way, in the story. In all the versions of the story I found. Don't remarry unless it's somebody who's better looking than me. I don't like Apparently that. that was enough to keep him from remarrying. Anyway, he searches for a new bride for years and years because, you know, he's a king. He needs a wife. Yeah. Time passes. He realizes that the only woman who fits the bill is his own daughter. <gasps> no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> this is in my book of fairy tales from childhood, by the way. Gross. Yeah. Again. No one was censoring me as a child. <laughs> this is why I'm fucking weird now. Oh. So, the daughter is like, uh, no, fuck this. Okay, this is good. gross. <laughs> yes, good, so she good tries, job. So she tries to make the wedding impossible by asking for impossible things. First, a dress as golden as the sun. Second, dress it as uh, silver as the moon. And third, one as dazzling as the stars. And finally, a mantle made from the fur of every kind of bird and animal in the kingdom. Aw, that's kind of sad. You know what? She's trying to make this impossible so she doesn't have to marry her dad. I don't blame her for coming up with the weirdest shit. (laughs) There are a lot of things I would come up with. (laughs) All right. Her father managed to provide all of these. And she's like, uh, no, don't want it. (laughs) So she runs away with the gifts, a gold ring, a gold spindle, a gold reel, and ran from the castle the night before the wedding. She's like, I'm out. Yeah. Yes. And she didn't stop running until she reached a neighboring kingdom. She slept in the forest there. When one day, the young king of that palace and his dogs found her. And she asked the king to have pity on her and receive a place in the kitchen where she worked. And because she gave no name, they called her a thousand furs, all kinds of furs. Depends on the translation. Okay. Or I'm just going to call her donkey skin because it's a little easier than the other ones. Donkey. Well, in the French Perot version, the cloak is made of the skin of a magic donkey that shit gold. And it was, <laughs> the- <laughs> it was the primary source of income for the kingdom. So she's like, he's never going to fucking kill this- the uh, skin, the donkey. It's the only way we get money. So he apparently was insane enough to kill the donkey. And she's like, well, I'm not letting this go to waste. So when she, by the way, when she meets this king of the new land, she doesn't take off the furs. So he has no idea what she looks like. Oh, okay. So she's just completely wrapped in these furs with her one little bag. Time passes. The king holds a ball. Trying to find a wife, as you do. Yeah, naturally, naturally. So she sneaks out of the kitchen. And she goes to the ball in her gold dress. King's dazzled by her. Next morning, the cook set her to make soup for the king. And she drops the gold ring that he noticed her wearing in it. The king finds it, questions the cook, questions donkey skin. (laughs) And she reveals nothing. She's like, no, don't know where that guy came from. It was magic. Yeah. Next, Next night, there's another ball. She shows up in her silver dress. Yeah, made to look like the moon. Mm-hmm. And following morning, she puts the golden spindle in his soup. Again, King goes to the kitchen. He's like, who, like, who keeps doing this and where is this woman? No idea. 
started. Like, I don't know, dude. I have one more dress to wear. <laughs> yeah. I I I have to I had to go through a lot of shit to get these dresses. I'm gonna get I'm gonna put them on. Exactly. So third third night, she goes to the ball in her dress made of starlight. And the king slips the golden ring on her finger without her noticing it, and ordered that the last dance go on longer than usual. She wasn't able to get in, away in time to change. She was only able to throw on her fo- her fur mantle over her clothing before she had to cook the soup. So when the king comes in to question her, he catches her hand and sees the ring. Because remember, he slipped it back on her hand. Sneaky. And he pulls off the mantle of the cloak, revealing her, and they got married. Aww. That's the end. The end. No idea what happens to her crazy-ass father. <laughs> kind of like super Donald Trump vibes. Because he yes. like, said he wanted to date his daughter. Really Still fucking creepy. Yeah. Still creepy. Really? Never really? going away. Really grosses me out. Yes, it does. Don't like that. All right. So this is also called the she bear, donkey skin, and the king who wished to marry his daughter. <laughs> well, that one just gives away the plot, you know? Right? Or it's the legend of Saint Damfina. Oh. But, you know, there's a bunch of other ones. In the story of Catskin, she flees because her father, who wanted a son, was marrying her off to the first prospect. In Capo Rushes, she was thrown out because her father interpreted her words to mean she did not love him. In The Child Who Came From an Egg, she fled because her apparent father had been conquered by another army. In The She-Bear, she flees because her father is too fond of her and keeps her prisoner to keep her safe. Yes. And in other uh, variations, she asks for extravagant dresses to escape an unwanted suitor. I'm guessing that not everybody was too keen on the whole my I want to marry my daughter thing so they changed up the story I could understand that that's a lot but in every version I've read it was her father that wanted to marry her and I'm oh. still traumatized ew you're welcome <laughs> thank you for ending on incest <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to there are just so many variations on that one that it's just Wow. Uh, what the fuck, Brothers Grimm? What the fuck? I wish that was the only story that started like that. But the fact that there is an, a section of the index that is just unnatural love. You know, that has to be, like, it's not new in storytelling. There's a lot of books that do that. And Oedipus, like, Electra. Yeah, and even, like, today, like, a lot of manga has some weird incest issues. I don't understand it. Well, I mean, these are supposed to be tales of the royals, and they did marry, you know, their niece, their cousin. That's true. Game of Thrones, siblings, twin. (laughs) No one ever needs to relive that revelation. (laughs) Still traumatized by that shit. (laughs) Oh, gross. It's, It's disgusting and very fucked up, and... But I had to bring it up, because I... There, there is a donkey that shits coins. You know, I want one. Kind of me too. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Pay off my student loans. <laughs> Come on, donkey, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that thing's getting like a massage every night. You good? Be eating real well. Oh yeah, yes. you can sleep in a bed. Yeah, I got yeah. a spare room. It'll be fine. <laughs> Give me three days with him. We're gonna go buy a house where he has plenty of room to wander. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. That's that's hilarious. I love yeah. I love Brothers Grimm. It's just so weird. It's all I, so weird. I can't. They left that out of Shrek. <laughs> Wouldn't that have helped the storyline? That's <laughs> all I could think of was Donkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, that was so good. Thank you so much for blessing my ear holes. Well, thank you for joining me. I had so much fun. I always love it when you're a guest. I have such a great time. We always go way over the normal timeline. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Because we end up talking, and today we talked about therapy. So healthy information for everyone. It's true. You have to be a Patreon to get our therapy session, but it got, like, way too real. (laughs) Probably got way too personal for... Probably. A lot of trauma. A lot oh, yeah. of uh, therapy uh, methods. Yeah. I just started EMDR, so if you want to hear about that weird stuff I'm doing, <laughs> there you go. Ah, yay, therapy. Yay. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Dion, for joining me again. I had such a great time. I always love it when you join me, Dion. And I love it when my guest are so enthusiastic about what we're talking about and you can just tell how much you love it. And if you are Patreon, you get to watch this and we're just glowing. It's so cute. (laughs) So if you'd like to watch all the past episodes as a video, unedited, full bloopers and deleted scenes and all future episodes live where you can comment and talk to us as we go, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash historical AF pod. I've been super busy with Patreon this week, so if you have recently joined, your welcome card is on its way. If you are Majestic AF and above, your sticker packs are on the way. I've sent out all the postcards to the Brilliant AFs and above, and the quarterly gift for the Prolific AF patron are shipping out this week as I make them. I send out a quarterly gift if you are that level of patron. And I decided to make (laughs) kitchen towels that are a Rasputin joke and I have no regrets. (laughs) I'm just thrilled that when I had the idea and I ran it past y'all that you guys thought it was equally as funny. And that's how I know I found my people, you know? That's how I know you guys are are my fam. And we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but yeah, the tea party is going to happen every month. We're going to do the last Saturday of every month. And we also do game nights. We haven't done one in a while, so I think we need to get that going. And it's just really fun, so you should check it out. If you have a story, so it could be something that happened to you, your favorite historical nugget, your hometown, does it have a cool legend, does it have something eerie, send that in. I need stories desperately. Please, please, please. And thank you. That's historicalafpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod. And please follow me on social media. That's historicalafpod across the board, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you wanted to follow my TikTok, which I'm slacking a little bit on that, but there are some history videos farther back when I was, you know, on top of things. And that's at Keenalian. Anywho, thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you next week for Fairy Tales Part 3 with my special guest, Cheyenne. Okay, bye. If anyone's out there, blink twice and keep listening. Blink twice and keep listening. 
Hey Teamsters, I'm Carrie M. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. We are a psychology and history podcast. And by psychology, my background is actually in social work. So I'll be talking about psychology, history, and sociology. And when I say history, I mean anything from people, places, and things to historical events and tragedies. And then we find intersections between our two topics and try and figure out what connects us all. Mm-hmm. New episodes launch every Thursday. You can find us anywhere you find your podcasts. You can also find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. We're on both Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Join us each week as we discover what connects us all. And if you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Keep listening.